my my grandfather had a restaurant in Chinatown. My dad had a um, a pub in the East End of London. Um, my auntie ran a, another pub in the East End of London. Um, and it, the, the the kind of the stories regarding um, that time um, in my parents' lives is is something that's a little bit hazy, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people might be able to sympathise. Is when you ask your parents about you know events from 40 years ago, you know actually you have to take some of it with a pinch of salt because some of it is actually fictional. Andrew and I are part of a team researching and telling the history of East and Southeast Asian families in Britain and the emergence of British Chinese cuisine since the 1960s. How did it come to exist? What does British or Chinese cuisine mean? And how does one affect the other? What are the individual stories that bring this history to life? So we're starting closer to home. Over three special episodes of Exo Soused, we'll be exploring three generations of Andrew's family. All food entrepreneurs. We'll be looking at the family drama, the sibling rivalry, generational conflict, but also the love and loyalty within the Wong family clan. Here is part one, covering the 1970s and 80s. So, Andrew, I'm I'm curious uh, about what it was like for you as a really young boy, really young child, um, and understanding that you were part of a, a restaurant family. Right. So your mum and dad were involved in the restaurant business. Uh, by this time, I think they had or when you were very young, they had maybe one or, or two restaurants. And how, how did that how did that feel? How did you feel about being part of that world? And or, and what do you remember about that time? Yeah, I mean, I mean, at Kim's, which is what um, our restaurant um, location sits on now, uh, was open in 1985. Um, I was born in 1982, um, but actually before then, my, my my grandfather had a restaurant in Chinatown. My dad had a um, a pub in the East End of London. Um, my auntie ran a, another pub in the East End of London, um, and it, the 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 kind of the stories regarding um, that time um, in my parents' lives is is something that's a little bit hazy, uh, and I'm sure. A lot of people might be able to sympathise is when you ask your parents about, you know, events from 40 years ago, you know, actually, you have to take some of it with a pinch of salt because some of it is actually fictional. Um, <laughs> but from what I was, what I've been told, and I recently had a little catch up with my auntie um, about those days, uh, where basically my dad, um, he was running a, running a, well, first of all, he was, he was in the Midlands first. I think he was in the Midlands where my, my grandparents, my grandfather landed basically when he decided to come from Diamond Hill in Hong Kong. Um, I don't know if for any of the listeners who don't know, but Diamond Hill was the, the hub for a lot of um, refugees from mainland China going into Hong Kong. Um, uh, and actually, there's, there's, there's actually there's a, a book written recently called Diamond Hill. And it talks about um, one of my father's friends from that era who owned a umbrella factory in Hong Kong. Um, and so, my, you know, a lot, a lot of people at that time, a lot of the immigrants in Hong Kong, they normally would have gone to either the UK uh, because of the fact that it was a British colony, or they would have gone to the US. So other parts of our family went to the US, or they would have gone to Canada. Uh, my family decided to go to... Um, UK and he ended up in a 
in a, in a tiny area within the Midlands called Nuneaton. Um, lovely area. <laughs> um, uh, very quaint. Um, and there, my grandfather started working in a tiny restaurant um, within a shopping centre. And I didn't know this until recently, until um, my auntie dug up some old photos of this, of this restaurant within a shopping centre. Uh, and you can imagine, you know, it's it's a, a Chinese restaurant in um, a very white area um, where, you know, the interaction with Chinese culture in general is very kind of um, novel, shall we say. Um, and so, you know, uh, my granddad was working there. Then he, I think, I believe he, he went into partnership with it um, and started to rope in my, my um, aunt and my dad into it. Um, and for some reason, I think from there, my dad got bored, I think, of working with my granddad. Um, and he, I think he picked up some newspaper article about the fact that in Hamburg, in the ports, they were looking for Chinese-speaking and English-speaking bilingual people who could help um, negotiate some of the trade. So my dad decided to go to Hamburg. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter that my sister was on the way. He's like, I'm going to Hamburg. I'm going to Hamburg to... Um, to, to, to make make my millions and so he went to Hamburg uh, to try to um, get this job as a basically a a, mid, a, a trade middleman um, I don't think it quite worked out for multiple reasons um, I, I remember the story that my auntie was telling me recently is that one of the main reasons that when they went into um, uh, discussions with the Chinese companies um for some reason, my dad decided to bring my granddad along to the negotiations um, because my granddad was quite a, a respected military man. Um, little did he know that um, my granddad would basically ruin every chance of him getting this role by um, highlighting his distaste for the Chinese company um, and, the <laughs> and the fact that, um, you know, um, it was a very tense situation. Um, so my dad didn't get that position uh, and for some reason he'd seen this bread and breakfast in Hamburg so he decided to take it over and, and try to run it for a while um, so he ran this this B&B &B for a while in Hamburg um, apparently very beautiful I've never been we never went um, and then from there for some reason I don't know there's this massive void uh, before he came back to basically East London um, to run this pub um, together with my aunt um, and then ended up running another pub um, and I mean, the stories around that, that time in their lives is quite entertaining actually because this is this is probably East London this is not this is not East London of 2023 where you know it's been gentrified with people with tattoos and, and facial hair you know my, my I remember my dad and my, my aunt was telling me again recently you know if my dad refused to serve certain people in the pub you know, he used to wake up in a hit. I think his his car got burnt like two or three times, um, in a year once, um, and because my dad was my dad, he he was obviously driving um a gold Mercedes at the time. <laughs> I don't even know. Lovely. I don't even know where you buy a gold Mercedes, um, but yeah, it got burnt several times, um, and I remember you know some of the crowd. If you, if you I don't you know just name dropping, but like. It was like when Boy George was a kid or the Dire Straits were, were before they got their record deals, they would just go in and they would just like play sets to try and earn some 
money on the side and my dad would just let them my dad and my aunt would just let them perform in a pub you know just to bring the crowds in um and then while this was happening my granddad decided to um go into partnership with um someone in chinatown so this is like in the late 70s you're talking about late 70s but getting into the 80s now um they went to this they went into partnership with some friends um who were obviously restaurateurs unlike uh, my grandfather who actually isn't a restaurant wasn't a restaurateur at all um or a chef um and opened well opened this restaurant called Lok Hau Fok which actually now if you go to Chinatown it's basically um I think it's called Cha Time with um Feng Shui and another unit all joined up it was it used to all be one unit together um and at that time you know you have to again remember you're talking about early 80s mid 80s you know Chinese food is very different um and um there weren't there wasn't very much competition at this time um and i i believe at the time there was there were only one or two restaurants serving dim sum for example and look how thought was one of them so it was a super super busy restaurant like absolutely manic you know there, this is a time where you would get queues halfway down Gerard street um i remember yeah, yeah well in the 80s i remember those queues <laughs> When you were a student. <laughs> well, when I was a smaller <laughs> student in the sense of, you know, primary school and secondary school. Not, not um, so, 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 yeah, it was a crazy time. You know, London was, was really beginning to um, have proper um, interaction with Chinese cuisine. Obviously, you know, but, you know we, we talk about this a lot, don't we? There's all about the fact that actually, you know, the earliest Chinese restaurants, probably like the late 1800s. But, you know, really, we're really talking about when Chinese food became um, an integral part of, of British society. You're really talking about the 70s and the 80s, really. You're talking about, you know, like my granddad's restaurant. You're talking about Mr. Poon. And this was the time when people really began to embrace uh, Chinese cuisine and Chinese gastronomy. Um, I've got two questions for you, Andrew, in that case then. So, and you might not know the answer to this, but do you, like... So at the time with so few dim sum restaurants opening, so how how did how did your father and his business partner um what what kind of skills or what kind of skilled chefs were they looking for? How did they how did they cope? Uh, how did they how did they put the concept together and what kinds of what, what did they end up doing to get that restaurant off the ground? You know, I think I think a lot of what you're a lot of the things that you're saying, asking in your question, they, they imply that there's like sense and a kind of very methodical method of going about opening a business. Mm. Um, but I think times in like the late 70s, 80s, it was very different. It was more like the Wild West. It was more like a hustle. Mm. Um, I think it's very much the fact that a lot of people were just kind of, well, we're Chinese. We know a chef who cooks Chinese food. Mm -hmm. I know how to run a business. Let's put it all together and let's open a restaurant. I don't think, you know, it's not like nowadays where, you know, you go in with several rounds of a business plan, you really put together the numbers, you mm. talk together eventualities of X, Y, Z, see what happens, the location. It was like, you know, where are you going to open? In Chinatown. Why? Because that's where all the Chinese people are. Who's going to be a cook? Well, it's my friend's friend's uncle's brother's cousin. Right, mm. cool. Is he going to bring everyone with him? Yes. Um, who's going to work at front of house? Well... 
me and my business partner, that's two people. Now, we've got two daughters each. That's another four staff. Mm. You know, my son's an accountant. Who's going to do the books? Well, okay, he'll do it. Um, and, and kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, I use this word hustle like it's um, almost an unprofessional way of running a business. But actually, I th- I've got to say, you know, having run a restaurant now for, for, for ten, going into 10 years now, I've got to say there's, there's something to be said of, of that spontaneity mm. um, and that style of management in running a business. I mean, like it's very agile, agile, right? Very I mean, agile, What you're right? doing is responding to opportunities or crises. and Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's why the Chinese cuisine develops so quickly, actually. You think about, if, you, if you're talking about Chinese cuisine, if, if you don't count the very first Chinese restaurants from the 1880, but you, you said the very first Chinese restaurant was around kind of the 70s, you're talking about within, you know, within 20, 30 years, Chinese food had really developed into an integral part of British culture. And that is, you know, one, because of, um, you know, the, the general kind of affinity that a lot of locals had towards Chinese cuisine. But the other part is because of this Chinese agile uh, way of running businesses is to basically look what people want and then try to kind of um, steer what you offer so that it matches what people want. You know, you, very, you, you, know you, you put it into today's setting. You know, a lot of people, chefs especially, are just kind of, well, I only do this. If you don't like it, don't come to our restaurant. I'm only going to be doing this. Yeah, back in the day, if I told my mum that, you know, imagine my, if my dad said to my grandfather, oh, you know, we're going to have a restaurant. It's tasting menu only at X amount of pounds um, per person. Um, my grandfather would have just laughed at him. Are you, are you joking? Like People go to a Chinese restaurant because they want choice. You know, he would say, that, oh, we already have not that much choice because we've only got... 106 items on the menu compared you know compared to 250 for the restaurant next door um so you know times are very very different and i think um it was because of that that agileness and that that way of constantly improvising their businesses um to what was around them which is why chinese food is i think has become so popular and um, become such an integral part of mainstream british society Talk to me about um, partnerships then, or family businesses, right? So you describe so many different kinds of partnerships just in the in the first first sort of ten minutes, which is fantastic. Um, so you had um, your father had a partnership with uh, his sister, your aunt, plus his dad, your grandfather, at some point. Then your grandfather had a partnership with his friend to then launch the Chinatown restaurant. Um, and so, I mean, those, so, you know, you've got partnerships within a family, partnerships between friends. I mean, that sense of kind of, um, cooperation, um, family, non-family network, you know, is it all very loosey goosey or, you know, is there a sense that actually this is a partnership for now, um, outside the family, but actually what I really want to do is now take it, you know, I'll I'll extract all I can and then build up my family and and bring my son in and things like this. Was there a sense that partnerships outside of the family were just a means to an end to, to create family empires or was it just all you know everything was to play for let's just seize the opportunity now yeah, that's a really good question um i think i i wish i knew because it would be a really interesting kind of set of dynamics in trying to look into it 
I can only imagine that the the the, the origins of a lot of these relationships is number one economical. So it, it, the economics of it is basically well, we need two hundred thousand pounds in order to, to 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 take over this site and to turn it into a restaurant. Well, I only have fifty. Um, you know, my my best friend from primary school in Hong Kong, who is also in London, um, has you know thirty, um, and then you know you go okay, well you know, and then once you build up that kind of foundation, then I think it becomes um, you know a little bit more pastoral. It's kind of well, you know, my daughter will work in a restaurant. Um, oh, my son can help out with this. Um, you know, my my. My brother-in-law does this and that, and then it, it builds into this this network, basically, um, where inadvertently everyone becomes to be reliant on this this core, which is the restaurants, right? Um, and then obviously that restaurant is, also becomes a social hub. It becomes a place where the extended family, as in me as a three or four-year-old, goes there every Sunday for dim sum. You know, my dad, who was waiting to find a site of his own restaurant at the time, you know, he, he decides to rock in every night at 11pm with all his mates and eats the place dry and drinks the place dry. You know, become, but it becomes a social hub. Um, and then with that, there becomes tension and you know, people start arguing and then the business relationships start straining. It's no different to any other business, you know, even if you look at it in terms of kind of contemporary society, every business goes through the same stuff. It's just whether or not um, you look at it as being something that HR deals with or you just think about it, well, you know what, it's it's an interpersonal issue that needs to be dealt with in some way, shape or form. Um, Yeah, but it it is. Restaurants are very, very personal um, endeavours, I think, in, in this kind of time. And I think primarily because such a massive, such a mass micro community ends up becoming reliant on it, as I said, you know, so my grandfather, you know, if my father, just say he, my father was younger at the time, he say he needed to go to university, that restaurant becomes, you know, the, the, the sole source of, of income in order to pay for his education, you know, if he can't pay for that education, that means that you know, somewhere along the line, he may not be able to leave hospitality and go into, I don't know, whatever, law or medicine or whatever it might be. He'll, they have to go back to the restaurant. And, you know, other people's relatives who are the accountant, who are, you know, they've been start working in marketing or they start working in the kitchen. They all become intrinsically, completely integrated within the restaurant. If it goes down, they all go down together. Mm. So... It feels like, I mean, London was a hub, is a hub still, obviously, but um, I can imagine London becoming more of a hub during these kind of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s when these businesses were booming, burgeoning, expanding, uh, trying to survive as well. So what happened with Nuneaton? What happened to the northern orientation of your of the family beforehand did did london was london just too good an opportunity or was there a sense that you know north and south you want to you want to keep a leg in each how how, how did that work out for, for, for again I, I think a lot a lot of this stuff is based on um relationships and and based on kind of 
serendipity you know you kind of like you're 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 running a little restaurant in in the midland somewhere mm. and then you get a call from one of your friends going hey you know i live in north london but have you heard there's this place in chinatown where the owners begin thinking about selling you know he's from you know a second batch in the school back in hong kong maybe we should give him a call you give him a call and it's like okay well i want this much money then it's like well we need to find a, t- a few more mates the person selling probably goes, hey, you know our other schoolmate from, you know, um, LaSalle's school or whatever it is in Hong Kong, you know, give him a ring. And then, you know, it, the network builds. Um, but my grandfather always stayed in the Midlands. He used to, at one point, he was commuting um, every day as a restaurateur back and forth, um, which, was, which was tough, I think. Um, but, but yeah, he, he always, he, he liked... Uh, he liked to be able to escape London, but mm. I think he also realised that, you know, London, you know, Nuneaton isn't London. And I don't mean to say that in a disrespectful way towards Nuneaton, but you know, it's a it's a it's a small place in the Midlands with a very small population, um and a very specific kind of community. Um it's very different to London. Uh, whereas London really is kind of you know, it is a gastronomic centre and a gastronomic kind of um innovator for for the whole of the uk and you know that's that's probably less so now in 2023 but you know if you're talking about the late 70s and the early 80s outside of of chinatown actually people didn't really have very much interaction with chinese culture at all it's interesting i mean that your grandfather still chose to live in nuneaton i mean obviously you know we can talk a little bit about, you know, what the costs are and, and things like this of running a family in Nuneaton and, and having a family in London and all that kind of stuff. But clearly Nuneaton had some jewels, some, some like sense of, uh, oh, I belong here too, you know, there was a draw there. I, I wondered um, about your father and your aunt. Does your aunt talk about partnering with your dad and what was the dynamics between siblings in that case when it comes to running a, a sort of a food business or a pub rather what 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 was the what was that experience for her like i think um i think it's um it's tough to work with your sibling i think the is the, is the best way of putting it um i'm sure anyone can can tell you this um you know working with family is tough but you know working with your parents for example there's still a level of kind of um respect i think you know as elders you know you you naturally um there comes a point where they say enough is enough and you go okay and you back down but when it's your sibling um there's no need to right you just continue to argue out until you <laughs> until you both just don't talk to each other ever again um and i think my my father in particular was um a very sh- very strong-minded individual and so is my auntie um my dad was very entrepreneurial um ideas driven but sometimes i think um maybe lacked a bit of the uh the follow-through and um, you know there's people with ideas and there's people who can turn those ideas into reality um, and and a lot of the time they require two different skill sets um and i think that may have possibly been um uh a cause of um, tension um, and disagreement, um, and I think you know with any family, you know, as you as you as you develop a, a business, you know, and we always talk about it now. Basically, you have to try to separate you know, family life from from work life, um, and I think 
what happens in that generation a lot of the time is that there is there is no separation at all like the business is the family um which means that you know it's very fragile but they both agreed to let boy george play so you know there they were clearly were like, some <laughs> some I think, agreements I think they were, yeah they were, they were, they, who are they talking about they talk about boy george die straight and who is jules holland or jules holland's wow. brother yeah <laughs> um he's going there and, and then some of the stories are ridiculous like some of the stuff that used to happen in the east end in the pubs in the east end you know my goodness like you, know, you talk about nut nutters nowadays in, in, in london my, my my auntie and my dad used to talk about people going into the pub with a hammer um just start beating people around the head with a hammer and then and then leaving and then coming back the next day just having a drink at lunchtime. I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> you were here yesterday with a hammer. Um, with a weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you didn't like it, my dad's car's on fire, so he can't even escape. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very different one. I think sometimes it's difficult for us, um, having had the privilege of sometimes being slightly shielded from these experiences and to see not only the interaction of um, our culture with, with local culture, um, but also getting, you know, first-hand experience of these kind of scenarios and these kind of um, situations. You know, because I, I can honestly tell you, I've never had to deal with anyone in my restaurant holding a hammer, trying to bat people around the head. Um, you know, it, it, we, it's just, it's a time and a place and a different set of issues and a different, different scenario altogether. Um, but you know, my, I think you know it was it was a testament to that entire generation in their ability to hustle in that time. You know, hustle in the time when being Chinese was obviously a very kind of um, unfamiliar thing for a lot of locals, especially in East London. So you know, if you you know, my dad was that Chinese publican, right? He was that Chinese, said in a more derogatory way. Um, and, and I think, you know, I used to remember like the way that my dad would handle, um, any type of, um, derogatory comments made towards him. He'd just laugh it off, um, like he had super thick skin, like it was just nothing. Um, and I remember my sister and I would all be like, you know, we'd always be like, whoa, that was a bit, that was a bit over the line, wasn't it? Um... But you know, he just he just took it within his stride because obviously he he'd run pubs in the East End. This stuff is nothing. <laughs> so you, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot to absorb from two generations before you of running businesses, food businesses, pub businesses. What kinds of what what are the largest lessons you took from that family history? into what you do now like what what's the kinds of things that you think you know what i'm going to do it the same i'm going to do it differently um i, I think the one thing that we we try we try natalie and i both try to learn from it um is this idea of where do you place the family within um your 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 circle um of circle of life um, I don't mean it like that. Um, but where, where, where does the family fit into that structure? That's number one. You know, for example, I'm, you know, my sister and I, growing up, never had family meals, for example. You know, if we ever ate together um, as a family, it was only on special occasions. 
Um, and we got used to the fact that we, we didn't see our parents and that was, that was the norm and that was okay. Um, so Nadia and I always did make, and we still do every day, we, 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 we battle with this idea of where, where families should be prioritised. Uh, the other thing I think that we, we, I learned from that generation above is the idea of um, where, where, does, where does the restaurant sit within the community? I think that's another thing. Um, you know, restaurants are restaurants at the end of the day. They're, they're places where people make food and serve food and people, people eat in those places. But I think there is a bigger picture to be, to be painted sometimes. You know, my grandfather was always very big on um, highlighting to us the fact that we're representing our culture. Um, I remember he used to always say um, that, you know, if you, if, if, if someone misbehaves on a bus, you know, it's just that person misbehaving on a bus. He says, that if you misbehave on a bus, you're that Chinese person misbehaving on a bus. And he used to always, always highlight this fact to us that, you know, no matter how you try to integrate into uh, local culture, you're always going to be Chinese ultimately. And I think that that's that played on me. It plays on me, I think, more now than than before. Um, because beforehand, it wasn't it wasn't even an issue. Right? We just did our thing. It wasn't. It was never. No one cared. Um, but I think now, as we we go into our tenth year of business, and sometimes people look towards what we're doing, um, and sometimes they make their own assumptions on what what we stand for and 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 what we're trying to do, and and maybe that we are or we aren't trying to set an example for other people. Um, and I think that whether it's subconscious or not, I do begin to think about that. I do begin to think about the responsibility that we do have to our community now um, and, and the implications of that. Um, that's definitely something. Um, and again, I was talking to you recently, right, recently about this, in, in, which is why the one thing that irritates me more than anything is when um, I see negative feedback um, for our restaurant, normally like 90% of the time being... Um, being given by a lot of British-born Chinese a lot of the time. Um, I, I find that particularly annoying um, because ultimately, you know, we're here to celebrate our culture and to try and what, you know, as I said, I, I, I want our culture to evolve and to, to I don't know, to move, I think, to, 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 to move on. I don't know, I'm not saying whether to get better or to get worse, that's not for me to say. But I think that we, we need to transition all the time. You know, I, I grew up in, a, in an era where whenever you mentioned Chinese people to someone, they'd mention Bruce Lee um, and Chinese food. That was it. That was their only interaction with Chinese culture. I remember what, like for, the, for all the years I ever went to primary school, the, the, it would be normal things. Oh, I went on holiday. I met a guy called Kevin. He was Chinese. Do you know him? I remember that. And I just think like, huh? It's just, you want things to move on and it requires people to understand different parts of our culture and the complexities of our culture at multiple different levels and, and genres in order for this movement and this change to take place. So when I see people, you know, people from a very similar background to myself, um, basically always trying to find a way to have an unnecessary dig at what we do at the restaurant, I just feel like, you know what, if you haven't got anything nice to say, just say nothing. And like, I would never do it. Um, you know, I, I've got so much respect for are all the people within our culture, whether or not you're first generation, second generation, um, you know, we're all just trying to, you know, 
celebrate our culture in different ways. And I think that if even we as a community always try to put a dampener on all of everyone else's kind of attempts to try to push the culture forward, then actually we can't expect um, mainstream culture to, to behave any differently because they're just going to look at us and go, well, she's a British-born Chinese and she says that what Andrew does is X, Y, Z. Well, there's no reason for me to think any differently because she must know better than I do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big thing. This idea of where does the restaurant relate to the community? Um, and then besides that, it, 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 the other thing is that I look at them and I, I begin to really make conscious demarcations of, of what is business and what is not business. I think that is something that I actively try to do. You know, there are certain things in life which, you know, back in the day, my, my dad would have just mixed it all in into this world of the restaurant, you know, whether it would be, you know, a builder, you know, the builder all of a sudden is, you're, you're bartering with this builder. So you don't pay the builder's bills anymore. He becomes part of the restaurant. You know, all of a sudden you've got all these other individuals, these characters in this play that all become integrated into this show, which is the restaurant. And I think as I've lived through it, um, firsthand, I've seen the complications that it can cause that I just feel like it, sometimes it's better to have a more clear-cut understanding of this is business, this is not business, this is business, this is not business. Um, and and that, is, that is the number one thing um, which to me allows the business to flourish past being a family business. Um, and how does that manifest itself? Number one is for me anyway, it's about making sure that I don't do business with family. <laughs> um, I always like to do this thing last, uh, which is to pin you down on a bit of chronology, or at least what you know. So um, if you know these years, let me know. Um, what year did your grandfather land up in Britain? Do you know? 72, 73. And uh, what year did your mum and dad get married? And uh, so he met her in Nuneaton, yeah. that right? Or in the Midlands, right? Okay. So what year did they get married? No idea. My 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 sister was born in seventy nine. So I imagine it was kind of like mid seventies. And um, so when um, so when did your father end up running the pub in East London? Uh, that must have been similar time, similar time to when my sister was born, so kind of like mid like mid seventy mid to uh, late seventies. Okay, so basically um, after Hamburg, after that Hamburg yeah. adventure. Okay, and the um, restaurant in on Gerard, on in Chinatown. What when was that? That was slightly before eighty five. So it must have been like eighty one, eighty about then, I imagine. So your childhood memories of that, you know, are kind of like sort of quite young. You were, you were yeah, young, I mean, all like, well, the most biggest thing I remember is hiding underneath the tables while my parents were eating. <laughs> <laughs> that's the safest place <laughs> I find. You've been listening to part one of a special three-part series of Exosoust on the emergence of British Chinese cuisine and the place of Andrew's family within it. Please join us for part two. Thank you.